when Rasul's sister, Daria, used to play the bass for us. She used to wear a shirt when she'd get up a T-shirt, and it said, Satan sucks on it. And uh, I had one of our members one time who doesn't attend here anymore come up and chastise me for letting her wear that shirt. And I asked that person a question. I said, is that not true? She said, well, yeah, it's true. I said, well, then what's wrong with the shirt? And so there you go. And I say that about cancer. That's what I say about cancer. And uh, one day, though, one day, when we leave this world, it's all going to be restored. Amen? Whew. We'll be able to dance and sing and walk without pain and eat whatever I want. Amen. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, let's hold them up. I'm a child of God. Having my hand. Powerful Word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Just turn to your neighbor and hug them and say, I love you. And if you're sitting by yourself, just hug yourself and tell yourself you love yourself. <laughs> We're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. Great story in the Bible. And before I read it, I just want to ask you, you ever catch yourself with things on your mind that you you just you, you haven't done anything about them but you just got things on your mind I catch myself about late in the morning thinking where am I going to have lunch today any of you guys do that or I'm the only one okay I, I got you or it's a hot summer day like it's been and if you had access to water pool or lake or pond or one of those even baby pools you could just sit in. <laughs> Boy, it just it gets on your mind. Sometimes we get things on our mind, but we don't follow through, especially if they get to be godly things. Sometimes we get godly things on our mind and we don't follow through. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles open to Mark uh, chapter 10, let's pick it up at verse 17. I'm in the New American Standard, but yours will, yours will be close enough. It says, As he was sitting, setting out on a journey... A man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked, said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. By the way, that's our confounding statement for the day in verse 18. So circle that verse if you would. Verse 19, You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, <coughs> do not bear false witness. Do not defraud, honor, and honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all those things, all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. No matter how you approach the subject, sin leads to death. Death and hell are connected, and it's just awful to think about. Jesus spoke more about hell in the New Testament than He did about heaven. Why is that? 
It's because, it's because he wanted you to not go there. Why do you think your mom said don't hang around with certain types of people? Because she didn't want you to hang around them. But what was our tendency? To go hang around them. To get back at our moms. And then we would make mistakes by being with that person. We'd get in trouble by being with that person. Then we'd have to learn what, is, what they say the hard way. <laughs> when if we just listened. Hell is a place where there's eternal torment and pain. It's unquenchable in its flames. These are all words from the Scripture. Hell is a place of terrible memories and horrible, horrible thirst. I sleep with a sleep apnea mask. And in the morning when I get up, well, my mouth is so dry from air blowing in, in, in my face and in my mouth all night. It's so dry. I can, I just, <laughs> can barely, barely breathe when you get up. Hell is a place of eternal separation from everything of beauty that resides in this world. Hell is a place of eternal separation from the presence of God. Hell is a place prepared for the devil and his angels, but all those who reject Jesus as their Savior will go there for eternity. Time is running out. Boy, don't be a doomsday preacher. Hey, it's been running out from, from the day of creation. <laughs> when man and Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, time's been running out. Still is. There's an urgency about your salvation. That's my point. There's an urgency about salvation. Hell would be a horrible place to spend eternity. I can only think of one thing worse than going to hell, and that would be to go to hell with heaven on my mind. Could that really happen? The Bible gives us several examples where I think that could happen. For instance, Judas Iscariot. Some say Judas is in hell. I'm not God. I'm not going to judge Judas. But I do know one thing. He took God's ability to forgive him away by committing suicide. How about Felix? That's a little easier. He looked into salvation, but he wanted to wait for a more convenient time in Acts 24. How about Herod Agrippa? He stepped up to the very door of heaven, but he turned it away. Acts 26. How about Festus? He heard the claims of the gospel and called them the ravings of a madman. The ravings of a madman in Acts 26. So as far as we know, every one of these men died and potentially went to hell. But every one of these men, first of all, thought of heaven before they made that decision to go down the wrong path. You see, the last three I talked about, they thought about it, but they weren't going to give up anything. They weren't going to follow a lunatic. But you see, in our text today, it's the same thing. A young man comes to Jesus. Here's the way of salvation. Turns away and leaves lost. As lost as he was when he came. And as far as we know, this young man potentially and more than likely went to hell with heaven on his mind. 
And the same thing continues around us. People come in. They come out of our churches. They hear the Gospel message. They're challenged to repent of their sins. Turn to Jesus for salvation. Many leave the church just like they came in the church. Don and I still, to this day, will never forget Carol Broadwell who stood in our fellowship hall on a Wednesday night and said, I've got to quit doing this Jesus thing. And we both looked at her and said, why? She said, because the closer I get to God, the more attack Satan brings on me, and I can't take it anymore. So she had overcome alcoholism, went right back into it. And the next time I found her, she was in rehab at St. John's, but wouldn't let me come see her because she felt guilty. I know why she wouldn't let me come. She felt guilty. See, there are many in the church who just hear it, but they don't do anything about it. They don't respond. They leave lost. They're still on their way to hell. And if they don't repent of their sins, if they don't eventually die for those sins through Christ, they're going to end up in hell. Going to hell with heaven on your mind. So I want us to take a fresh look this morning at this passage and I want to share with you about this young man and some facts that we know about him. We're going to look at three things, his status, his search, and his sorrow. Beginning at verse 17, the first part of verse 17, we see his status. He was a, a man of privilege. He had privilege. All three gospel writers tell us that this man was rich. Matthew also tells us that he was young. There in Matthew 19. He lived a life of privilege. The world was his. Anything he wanted was well within his reach. <laughs> you know, we just saw the Republican National Convention and Donald Trump's children got up to speak. And every one of them talked about the privilege that they've grown up with. But they've also talked about the responsibility they have for much is given, much is required, one of them said. Well, that's refreshing, isn't it? It's refreshing to hear. We also know that he had position. Luke tells us that this man was a ruler. A rich young ruler. Compare that with Luke 18, 18. Probably means that he was an influential leader. Local synagogue, more than likely. And he had prestige, we know that. According to all the information we have about this man, it appears that he was very normal, verse 20. He lived a good life. People all over that region probably looked up to this young, rich, moral, religious leader. He could sing the theme song to the Dukes of Hazards. He was a good old boy. Never meaning no harm, you know? That's how a lot of people live their Christian life. And if you look truly at his outward appearance, this young man was riding high. He was at the top of success. He was everything that a mother or a father could hope and want their child to be. And if you looked at his life, you might think that he had it all, but appearances are deceiving. Don't. Judge a book by its cover. I sang at a funeral not long ago, and somebody came up to me after the funeral and said, Thank you for that song you sang. I said, Oh, well, thank you. I'm, I'm honored that it, it touched your life. She said, Yeah, I just looked at you and I thought, I don't think he can sing. Isn't that great? So I guess being ugly. I'm glad I can sing. <laughs> but in spite of everything, he was going, that this young man had going for him, this young man had one big skeleton in his closet. 
He had an itch that he would not scratch. He had found that his youth left him unsatisfied. His money had left him feeling unfulfilled. His morality, his clean living, and his right religious activity had not been able to satisfy the deep longings in his soul. His swift climb up the rungs of the social ladder had failed to give him what he wanted most, and that was peace with God. People are seeking peace with God. Maybe there are people in this room in the same shape as this young man. I mean, from every outward appearance, you, you look like you've got it made. Life's been good to you. Whew. Man, things are on the up and up. I mean, you've got a little bit of money. You're kind of well-known in your field and out in the community. People think of you well. You're probably a good person. You've lived a clean and moral life. Maybe you're a church member, a leader at the church, a teacher at the church. You're working in the youth rotation. I mean, that should put stars in your crown if you're in the youth rotation. If you spend three days working VBS, you're in big stars in your crown. I think it's wild after about two and a half hours. And they're still going like crazy. It was great to watch the workers. They were all sitting back like this. I thought, man, they're praising God. Look at them. But in spite of all that, there's still something missing in your life and there was something missing in his life. And you know what it takes to live, but you also know what it takes to die. You have everything that you want materially, but you don't have everything spiritually, especially that peace with God. Everything looks good on the outside, but on the inside it's all messed up. So verses 17 through 20 talk about his search. Now I want to, uh, they, they take us to the second point about his search. In the latter part of verse 17, we see his concern. See, this, this young man has a lot going for him, but he knows that he's missing something important. So I want you to look at that verse, that second part of that verse. He's missing a saving relationship with Almighty God. You know, and many people never realize that nothing in this world is more important than their soul's salvation. You can accumulate all the stuff you want. You can accumulate all the wealth you want. You can have the biggest car, the fastest car, the nicest car, the biggest house, the nicest house, the newest stuff. You can have all of it. But it's not going to amount to a hill of beans if your soul isn't right with God. It's that simple. Because all you need is one stroke and you can't play Nintendo anymore. You need one heart attack and you may not even be able to drive a boat anymore. That's <laughs> all it takes. That's all it takes. Because you never know. You never know. But see, you don't have to worry if you've got it all taken care of with God. If you've got that peace with God, you don't have to worry about that, do you? So this man sees his need. He desires to do something. Look, look what it says. It says he came running to Jesus. Now, isn't that a great phrase? It says he came running to Jesus. I like that. I like the fact that he knew he needed something, so he decided he was going to run. He saw the urgency of, his, of where he was. So he says, ha! So he runs to Jesus. It says he kneeled before him. Shows that he understood the authority of the Lord. How many times do we stand before God and mock Him? I mean, there are people who curse God, and yet they got all excited about a 60 mile an hour straight wind a couple weeks ago. Just wind. Just wind. You don't think God can blow you over? Once you step out in that 60 mile an hour wind, see if He can't blow you over. 
You don't think God can blow your house away? And he's not one of the three little pigs. I mean, you know, hey. You see, this young man understood who Jesus was. And it means that Jesus is in the middle of the road. And when this fellow comes and he bows down before him, it shows that he's not ashamed to admit that he had a spiritual need. That's critically important that we understand that we all have a need. And that need is to be met only in Christ. But you first of all got to admit that you got a problem. He wants to know how he might inherit eternal life, he says. See, this young man had a lot going for him. Yet with all the power, with all the possessions, with all the privileges, he still does not know the answer to the greatest of all questions, and that is, how am I going to get to heaven? How do I grab eternal life? So you don't find many people who are thinking about eternity today. Most people are just so wrapped up in themselves and their lives that they have no time or thoughts for God, heaven, hell, or where they're going to go when they die. I'm just glad I already know where I'm going when I die. So if I die, okay, I'm going to wake up with the Lord. How many of you can say amen? There you go. Man, you've got to have that confidence. Amen? Well, boy, you know, I just, I, I just don't know. Well, you can know. First John 5.13 says you can know. I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. So you got Him. If you've got Jesus, you got it. But what if I'm sinning when He comes back? Don't you think He can cover that? Because He knows you're a sinner. That's why He came and died for you. Are you striving for holiness? Or did you just get baptized into Christ and give your heart to Christ and just decide to live like the devil still? <laughs> no, you're supposed to be moving toward holiness. Amen? But most folks are just like this young man. They have it all. Got a lot going on. Well-liked in the community. Well-known in the community. But they, they're eventually going to die and go to hell with heaven on their mind. Wow. You see, death is coming, by the way. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed to every man to die once. Oh, death is coming. It's going to come to you whether you want it or not. Amen? It's coming. Are you ready for it? Now, I understand you're not ready to punch the ticket today. I, I understand that. But are you ready if it comes? See, one day soon, the world's going to be over. And I believe it's sooner than we think. Oh, I'm sorry, the Republican Party's going to save us. Amen. Well, I, was, I was, man, that was awesome. Listen to their speeches last week. I, I know the Republican Party's going to turn it all around. Till we put God back in His place, there's nothing turning around. Nothing's turning around. We better put Him in. You got another party out there that's voted God out of their platform last year, He's still not in their platform. And they've also voted to kill babies at any time of development. Even to the last day the mother's getting ready to deliver, you can abort that baby and kill it. That's what they say. No problem. But they pitched a fit over uh, capital punishment. People that have been convicted of killing others and are on death row, they're pitching a fit about killing them. And they're all for, they're all for a mother's choice. Because you see, they've already, they're on... The, the back side of the womb. They're on the, out of the womb. <laughs> so it's no problem for them. Somebody asked uh, the other day, I was reading an article, and they said, why haven't we found a cure for cancer? And why haven't we found a cure for this and that and the other? And I love the answer. They were talking to God asking that. Why haven't we seen this? And the answer from God was, 
because you keep killing them, the people who have the answers. Something to think about. Something to think about. So, also in the latter part of verse 17, we see his confusion. Because, I mean, let's give this young man his due. He was concerned about the right things, and he came to the right person to get the answers. Okay? So let's give him, let's give him his due. That I, that I appreciate about him. Because you see, he comes at the right time, he comes in the right way, and the man gets a lot of things right when he talks to the Lord. He thinks salvation, however, can be earned. How many people do you know do that? Thus, it goes back to my question on the connection card. What are the things that you hope that you're doing good that are going to get you to heaven? I'm going to answer that question in a minute. Because, see, he's working under the assumption of the do-oriented salvation. If I do these things, He's obligated to save me. That's the Old Covenant. Under the New Covenant, God is not obligated to save us at all unless we surrender to Jesus, unless we give our heart to Jesus. You know, people say the Christian church, Church of Christ, we stress baptism more than we should. And you know, to some extent I agree with them. But here's what I do know this. It's a completion Baptism becomes the completion of my repentance. If I repent, I think Peter said, if I repent and be baptized. If I repent and be baptized. And not if or. (laughs) Not if or. And for some, we need to be held under longer than others. Amen. Get that sin out of their life. But if you, if you don't repent, if you truly aren't sorry for your sin and ready to live differently, what good is that water going to do you? Because you're supposed to rise in a new life, not the same old life. Amen? So you can't work your way there. He also thinks salvation is a reward. He seems to think that if he can just do enough good things, that God's going to save him. You see, salvation is a gift of grace because God loves us. Unconditionally. Warts and all. He loves us. Ugly and singers. He loves ugly singers. I'm great. I'm glad. Many people still believe that salvation is based on do. They believe that they have to do something to be saved. Join the church. Baptism alone. Teach Sunday school. Be a preacher. Oh, Lord have mercy. I read an article this week on the top paid preachers in the, in the country. Whew. Man, I mean, guys are making a lot of money. A lot of money. Of course, I guess if you preach to multiple thousands of people, you probably ought to get a lot of money, shouldn't you? But then I remember that verse where Jesus said, The foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. <laughs> interesting. Just kind of interesting. You see, it's not about what we do, it's about what's already been done. Amen? Christ did it for us. Philippian jailer had the same question. He asked asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They did. Baptize them in the same hour, it says. So, so see, don't throw baptism out. That's, That's your culminating point. But if you don't change your heart before you go to the water, what good is it? Are you with me on that? Okay. Then... Verses 18 and 19 talk about his challenge. When Jesus hears that this man believes about salvation, he challenges him in two specific ways. The man called him good master. Here's our verse. Jesus said, There is none good but one, and that's God. 
So when Jesus makes that statement, is he, He's calling this young man out. Does he believe that Jesus is a good man or does he believe that Jesus is God? This man considered Jesus to be merely a great teacher. He didn't see Jesus the way that he's supposed to be seen. Do you see him as a cosmic killjoy or do you see him as a Santa Claus in heaven who's ready to give you everything that you ask for and if you don't get it, then you turn on him? Before anyone can be saved, they've got to come to a correct understanding of who Jesus is. In John 14, 6 is that verse. I am the, finish it, I am the way, the, and the, and no man comes to the Father but by, you got it, you know it. No other way. Can't hope your way, can't buy your way, can't good your way, can't serve your way. You can only get there by surrender to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So do you know who Jesus is? Do you know him in the way you're supposed to? John MacArthur tells about sharing the gospel with a young actor from India. The close of their conversation, the young man bowed his head and asked Jesus into his heart. When he had finished, he looked at Dr. MacArthur and he said, Isn't it wonderful? Now I have Muhammad and Jesus too. I think he missed something in the translation, didn't he? How about the condition of this young man's soul? When Jesus gives this young man a list of commands, it isn't to to imply that salvation comes by keeping the law. That's not what he's saying. He's trying to get this young man to see that he's a sinner. He's attempting, Jesus is attempting to get him to be honest about where he is spiritually. But the young man believed that salvation was just something else that he had to add to his resume. All right, just tell me the four or five things I need to do and I'll get it done. Boy, I'm going to move on. I got got more more irons in the fire. I got more, more things to do. So Jesus wants him to see that he's a sinner and a sinner has no ground upon which to stand before the face of God. And that's where most people are today. They're right there. They take an external superficial inventory of their lives and they think that all is okay. They say, I don't beat my wife. I don't abuse my children. I don't run around. I don't drink. I provide for my family. I'm a pretty good old boy. And after all, compared to some people, I'm almost a saint. See, that's the fallacy of Satan's thought process running through our lives. And what's wrong with that is that the problem with people in their relationship with God is not what they are outwardly, but what they are inwardly. See, inwardly should, should affect us outwardly. Can't change the way you look, as I'm finding out. <laughs> but you can change what's in here. And good things can come no matter what outside looks like. You can wash a pig, perfume him up, put a ribbon around his neck, And he looks clean, but turn him loose, he's going to head for the mud. That's what pigs do. They love to wallow in the mud. You can take a corpse and you can comb its hair, you can put makeup on it, perfume it, make it look pretty good, but guess what? It's a dead and it's going to stink eventually. And it's going to decay and rot away. A sinner may turn over a new leaf and look good outwardly, May be a moral, clean, hard-working person, but he's still a sinner at heart and needs a Savior. And Jesus is the only one, like this young man, Jesus is the only one who could save him. And then verse 20, you see his confession. The man responds to the Lord's challenge by telling Jesus that he had kept all these commands from when he was a kid. And he probably had been, because he was a good old kid. I mean, you give any kid a list of ten things to do, they can, they can do them most of the time. Just check them off. Jesus didn't rebuke him for that. 
But there is something else that we need to consider. It may be that Jesus only mentioned the commandments that the young man had kept because perhaps Jesus did, did not mention the ones that he had broken. If you'll notice, the commandments listed in verse 19 deal with a man's relationship to man. It may be that this man was right with his fellow man, but he was not right with Almighty God. Until he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he wasn't, and neither were you or me. You can be moral and religious and decent, but to be right with God, you must come through Christ to Him. And lastly, I want you to see his sorrow in verses 21 and 22. See, the Master had some requirements. When Jesus hears the response, the Lord reaches out to the young man. He tells him in very clear terms how to be saved. Then the Lord shows him compassion. He says, we're told that Jesus loved him. Do you see that in the text? He said, Jesus loved him. And in spite of his sins, in spite of his improper understanding of the things of God, Jesus loved this poor lost sinner. He still loved him. He loved you and me when we were lost sinners. He still loves us even though we've been found, even though we've been saved. He still loves us, doesn't he? Oh yeah, he does. I know he does. Because when I pray to Him, I feel Him, I sense Him, I know He's there. Do you? When you have those songs, when you sing those songs, I mean, that, that one this morning, it was new to us, and it was new to Jeff, but Holy Spirit, You are welcome here. Yeah. We need to sing that song. Lord, I need You. Oh, I need You. Every hour I need You. Yes, ma'am. Oh, Tina can sing it, can't she? See, and He loves you. He loves me. Romans 5, 8 tells us that. While we were yet sinners, He still died for us. Then the Lord confronts him. He says, yes, you've done all these things, but you lack one thing. It's always that, isn't it? You hear somebody talking about how great you are, and then they say, but. Oh, I hate that. You know, don't, don't bring that up. Yeah, 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 but. Because they're fixing to drop a hammer on you, right? And sure enough, Jesus says, but you lack one thing. The man needed to get rid of the gods that he had in his life, the wealth that he had in his life. He tells him, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Huh. What's that going to prove? That God's more important that God's more powerful and that you're willing to surrender whatever it is. Do we sing that, that song, that, that invitation song? I surrender all. See, we need to change the words. I surrender some things. Because <laughs> that's where most of us are. Not going to go with all of it, but we'll do some things. But the Lord calls into him. Turn your back, Jesus is saying, everything but me, and you'll be saved. Just walk away from it. Take up your cross and follow me once for all. That's an action that He wants us to do. You might say, well, preacher, that doesn't sound right. God wants me to be poor and homeless. I didn't say that at all. He just wants to make sure that your wealth and your home doesn't take the place of Him. That's what He's after. You trusted Jesus for your soul's salvation? Have you willingly released your grip on everything else and reached out to Him by faith? That's what He's asking of this young man. And that's what He's asking of us. Anything else will cause us to lose our soul. Then verse 22, we see what happens. The result. The man rejects the words of Jesus. 
He was looking for an easy fix, aren't we? <laughs> we live in a time and a culture that everything's supposed to be easy. I want an easy fix. He wanted salvation. He wanted it on His terms. He wanted to keep all the things that He had. He wanted to add Jesus to His resume. And there's nothing wrong with wealth if you let the wealth be used of God. We need wealthy people in the church. We do. The thing is, is we've got them. They're right in here. We sat down with 58 people. Let me show you what I'm talking about. We sat down with 58 people at the last Sunday of June. We're in a summer, summer slump, as they call them, in churches. Attendance is down. We have 58 people here that day. The Gideons show up, and they do a presentation. They took less than 10 minutes to do their presentation. We received an offering. $775 you raised that, mo that morning with 58 folks here. And on top of that, you gave close to $1,500 into the offering for general fund. Wow! How does that happen? You see, we've got wealthy people here. But Jesus demands, look what happened to this young man. Look at how he responded. It says he was sad. The word sad means that he was under a dark cloud. We're told that he grieved. The word for grieved defined means that he was thrown into sorrow. The man's heart was broken. He came to Jesus with heaven on his mind, but he walked away with hell as his destination because you see there's so many people that will walk away from what God's asking us to do to hold on to what we've got right now. And for what? And for what? He made an earthly decision. Was it worth throwing his soul away? Was it worth walking away from heaven? As far as we know, the young man died, went to hell. There's nothing, no indication he didn't. But he went there thinking about heaven. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. Consider where your faith is today. What do you trust to give you eternal life? Good works, clean living, a good name, all those things will fail. You might have a lot going on for you, but if you do not have Jesus Christ, you're lost, you're doomed, you're headed to hell just thinking about heaven is not going to be enough and when you become a Christian then you ought to be growing and producing growing and producing it shouldn't be stagnant now back to our connection card what are the good things that you can do that you hope you can do that you're going to do that's going to get you to heaven may I answer the question for you nothing <laughs> there's not a good thing you can do that Jesus is going to go, wow. So I hope when I get to heaven, he's going to say, oh, Harold, yeah, 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 listen, man. You used to help people in benevolence. Man, you know, you take money out of your own pocket. You, you did way too much. Way too much. Oh, I'm hoping he says that. What I have a feeling he's going to say is, hey, let me show you about ten times that you really dropped the ball here. Mm. Oh, you remember that? Don't go to hell with heaven on your mind. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to respond to you. You've called us with an everlasting love.
to come receive an everlasting salvation and to spend forever with you in heaven. So God, I'm asking you this morning, would there be one here today that would just simply say and be honest with themselves and say, they need you. Oh, they need you. Every hour, they need you. And Father, would you respond to them? And would you respond to their plea? And Father, we're asking today, just one, just one would be moved. In Jesus we pray. Amen.